Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. He threw 17 no-hitters in high school, was signed by the Baltimore Orioles as an amateur free agent, threw two no-hitters in the bigs, and won a Cy Young Award. Then, when his playing days were over, he started the International Boxing Association. Next, on Sports Forgotten Heroes, the story of Dean Chance. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Welcome to another edition of Sports Forgotten Heroes. So glad you've made this podcast a part of your day. Today, we're going to take a look back at the remarkable career of Dean Chance. And joining me in just a bit will be two-time Cy Young Award winner, Denny McLean. Additionally, two members of the Boxing Hall of Fame will join me as well, Bill Kaplan and Don Chargan. Now, before we get to Dean's story, I'd first like to thank a couple of Hall of Fame sponsors for their continued support of Sports Forgotten Heroes. Henry R. from New Jersey, and Jack K. from Las Vegas. Sports Forgotten Heroes could certainly use more Hall of Fame sponsors. To find out more, please visit sportsfh.com. You can also find out how you can ask questions of future guests and more. That's sportsfh.com. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter, at SportsFHeroes, or check out our Facebook page. Getting back to today's podcast... Dean Chance, what a terrific pitcher. But he played for an expansion team, and that certainly affected his popularity, but not his abilities on the mound. Dean was originally signed by the Baltimore Orioles, ironically by former Major League pitcher Hal Neuhauser, who, incidentally, will be doing a podcast on in a few short weeks. Dean, however, never pitched for the O's. In 1960, the newly formed Washington Senators selected Dean in the expansion draft and then traded him to the then Los Angeles Angels for Joe Hicks. Just a side note, when they were first formed, the Angels went by the name Los Angeles before switching to California prior to the 1965 season. In 1966, they became the Anaheim Angels, and in 2005, they became the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim before returning to their original name of Los Angeles Angels in 2013. Dean caught the eye of many scouts while in high school in Worcester, Ohio. Some records indicate he threw an incredible 17 no-hitters in high school, while others claim he threw 18. Nonetheless, he was a master on the mound. He was a stud on the hardcore, too, and received more than 100 college offers. But when the Orioles offered him $30,000 to play ball right out of high school, Dean couldn't say no. After two seasons in the Orioles' system, they didn't protect him. Instead, they opted to protect Dean's good friend, Arnie Thorslin, who wound up being best man at Dean's wedding. The O's choice to protect Thorslin was a big mistake. He hurt his arm and never appeared in a major league game. 
In his first full year with the Angels, Dean finished third in Rookie of the Year balloting. Tom Tresh of the Yankees won, while Dean's roommate Buck Rogers finished second. On the mound that year, Dean went 14-10 with a 2.96 ERA for a team that went 86-76. In 1963, the Angels fell to 70-91, and and Dean saw his record slip to 13-18. In 1964, though, the Angels improved to 82-80, and Dean Chance had a season for the ages. He went 20-9 with a league-leading 1.65 ERA. His 20 wins also led the league, as did his 15 complete games, 11 shutouts, and, get this, he pitched 278.1 innings. In fact, Dean was a workhorse. Like many of the great pitchers of his day, averaging 256 innings pitched per year from 1962 through 1968. But that 1964 season was special. So special, in fact, he won the Cy Young Award that year at a time when baseball only handed out one Cy Young Award to the best pitcher in baseball, period. There wasn't a Cy Young Award for the best National League pitcher or the best American League pitcher. Just one award for the best pitcher in baseball. He beat out greats like Sandy Koufax, Bob Gibson, and Whitey Ford, all of whom wound up in the Hall of Fame. Jumping ahead now, after the 1966 season, with the Angels struggling at the plate, they traded Chance to the Minnesota Twins, where he won Comeback Player of the Year by going 20-14 and with a 2.73 ERA. He led the league in games started with 39, 18 complete games, and 283.2 innings pitched. For the second time in his career, he started the All-Star game, ironically played at Anaheim Stadium, and he threw two no-hitters that year, too. A five-inning rain-shortened perfect game against Boston, and later a no-hitter against Cleveland. Here now to tell us more about Dean Chance is another former Cy Young Award winner and the last man to win 30 games in one season, Denny McLean. In fact, it was 1968. McLean went 31 and 6, 31 wins, and led the Tigers to a world championship over the St. Louis Cardinals. McLean, like I said, the last man to win 30 games in one season. He and Chance never played on the same team, but from across the diamond became friends. So close, in fact, that it was McLean who delivered the eulogy at Dean's funeral back in 2015. Denny, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Thank you for being here. Warren, I was looking forward to this. Uh, Congratulations, and I hope this show does real well for you. Thank you so much. So first, let me ask you this. Obviously, you played during the same time period as Dean. From the opposing dugout, would you give me a scouting report on what made Dean such a good pitcher? Well, I, I'll, I'll just start off with this. I believe that if he was with our club, um, I think he could have challenged the number 30. I think he could have possibly won 30 with our club. Uh, good pitchers, uh, if you are serious about the game back then, if you did your work every day, if you did your running, you did your exercise, you did what you needed to do, uh, you were a pretty good pitcher. Uh, the bottom line was um, we had guys in our club that had great ability for three or four innings. And then for some reason, nobody can explain why all of a sudden you lose it in the fourth or fifth inning. But um, Dean was one of those guys that worked. 
and he worked and he worked and he had the best sinking fastball anybody has ever seen i swear to you in the history of the game the ball when you did hit the ball in play half the time it broke bats and the other time when you did hit the ball it felt so heavy on the bat it was hard to believe that the ball there wasn't something wrong with the ball so uh, that's the kind of stuff he had he won the cy young of course right and and uh and he won the Cy Young going away that year. So he's, um, he was, uh, I, I can tell you this, even our left-handed hitters did not want to face him with the exception of one guy, Dick McCullough. McCullough hit him like he owned him. Uh, but, but McCullough, to my knowledge, is the only guy that ever hit him like he owned him in, in the history, of, in his history in the game. Wow. And, and, and what you said that he might have had the ability to win 30 with sure. the Tigers, like you won 31. Right. Um, I think I think he had the ability to do that. It, you know, at, at, put put him when he was really going well. Uh, and of course, it was tough to go well with the Angels. I mean, they were brutal. Sure. But uh, when when he was really going well, I think he could have challenged winning thirty ball games with any good club. You can't do it with the California Angels. That, that's impossible. But you could do it with a, a New York Yankee or a Detroit Tiger or. Uh, I forget who the heck had oh, Chicago, Chicago White Sox back then. So those are the clubs that could have really, really produced a 30 game winner. And what you also said probably leads into this where you had once said Dean pitched every day of his life. What did you mean by that? Well, he um, he loved the game. He loved the game more than most people that I've ever met. And I, I love being around him for that reason. Uh, I mean, when you're around Dean, all you did was talk about baseball, uh, the guys that we played against, he'd pull out, uh, not on his phone necessarily, cause he wasn't really good with technology, but, uh, <laughs> he would start to look up different guys. And I wonder what that guy hit off me. I wonder how many guys, how many times did he get on base? Uh, you know, he, he, uh, was always into the numbers. He did some great work with the numbers. Um, he was quite a creative guy too, when it came to putting things together for, um, uh, for the game, for for sports shows and things like that, but uh, a good guy. I mean, just a sincere good guy who pitched and pitched and pitched, whether it was baseball or something else. You said that Dick McCullough owned him. One of the guys that Dean owned was Mickey Mantle. Oh God, yes. Well, Mickey Mickey did not like. Listen, most hitters do not like good fastball hitters. Mickey uh, uh, was a, a dynamite hitter, but he had a little bit of contrarianism in in, in him. Most left-handed hitters are dead low ball hitters. Mickey was not a dead low ball hitter. So Dean was a dead low ball pitcher. So he was, Mickey was probably a little bit overmatched with when it came to Dean. I mean, cause boy, when Dean had it, he had all of it. And uh, it would not be unusual for Dean to have break to, in, in one night, break three, four, five, six bats. In fact, over the course of his career, Mantle hit only 245 against Chance with just three home runs. And in Chance's great season of 1964, he owned all of the Yankees. In a baseball biography project for the Society of American Baseball Research, better known as Sabre, in a bio about Dean Chance, sports writer Phil Pepe was quoted as saying, it's Chance, not CBS, who owns the New York Yankees, lock, stock, and barrel. At the time, CBS owned the Yanks, and this quote was in reference to the incredible season Chance was having in 1964. He threw 50 innings against the Yankees, and according to the article on Sabre, 
Chance went 4-0 in five starts, gave up just 14 hits and only one run for an ERA of just .18. Oh, and the one game where he didn't get a decision? Chance held New York scoreless for 13-plus innings before being removed from the game. And in 1964, he certainly had it. He went 20-9 and for the Angels, right. a team that had only won 82 games. He led the league right. with a 1.65 ERA, tossed 15 complete games, had 11 shutouts. Like you said, he won the Cy Young Award going away. And this was at a time when there was only one Cy Young Award handed out between the National and American League. Yeah. And no matter when you played the game, those are simply spectacular numbers. What can you tell me about that season? I can only tell you. His tenacity is, is, speaks for itself. I mean, uh, when a guy throws 11 shutouts in one season, I mean, I, I have the Tiger record. Just, just to compare, I have the Tiger record for the most shutouts in one season, nine. Wow. Uh, and and um, that sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot when you, when you look at 11. Um, I mean, I, I, you talk about 11, one year. I mean, I had, I, again, I got the record for the Tigers. Uh, I got, I got, I think I've got 15 in two consecutive years. So the bottom line is 11 totally outshines anything that I ever did when it comes to shutout, but I was a different kind of pitcher too. I mean, I, uh, if I got a lead, if I had a three or four run lead, I would just throw fastballs down the middle of the plate, let them hit it if they could. And uh, so, I mean, I, the shutout didn't mean much to me. But your two years back-to-back were quite spectacular, winning 55 games over a two-year period. And and Dean's two-year period of 63 and 64 were pretty spectacular as well. Even though he only went 13 and 18 in 63, that record really doesn't tell a fair story. He lost 13 games by shutout, and in the 18 losses, the Angels only scored a total of 21 runs, and he tossed another two shutouts, gave up only 10 home runs all season. You even said that 63-64 were two of the most dominant seasons for a pitcher you ever saw. Just how masterful and dominant was he? Well, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's always give credit to the other side too. I mean, nobody, nobody's out there trying to let him throw a shutout. Nobody's out there trying to let him win or let me win or anybody else win. I mean, you got to give some credit. If somebody shuts you out, your, your ball club, you were pitching seven, eight, nine, 10 times. You know, that's pretty good pitching. I mean, you, you can say, well, boy, he pitched in bad luck. No, that's the nature of the game. You're, you're playing a lot of ball games. That's going to happen to you. I was at the Washington Senators. Uh, and they traded me, which was like going to hell, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I went from a club that's, that averaged about four runs a game for me to a club that averaged less than a, a run and a half for me. And I got shut out eight times when I went to the Washington Senators in one year. And, you know, it's demoralizing, but there's nothing you can do because, hell, you're not a good hitter to begin with. That's the reason you're pitching. Sure. And, um, uh, but, no, it's it's uh, the game was, it was a, we had such good pitching in the 60s. <clears throat> nothing will ever rival the, the people that we had the stars on every ball club that, that were, and I mean, legitimate stars, you could sit here and you could name 30 or 40 of them, especially between the years 63, 64 and 1970, you could sit here and name dozens and dozens of stars, legitimate stars, guys who had lots of shutouts, guys who had consistent ERAs, complete games. I mean, I have a question. How can anybody, a pitcher, a starting pitcher, how can a starting pitcher ever get in the hall of fame again without having a, a complete game? 
How can he get in the Hall of Fame? Yeah. There's no way. There is no way that you can put a pitcher in the Hall of Fame without a complete game. No way. The, the nature of the game is complete games. Dean did that. Sandy Koufax did that. We did it. Marichal did it. All of the great pitchers did it. And um, it, it gets me so gosh darn mad when I start hearing uh, that the kids today are, uh, you know, boy, they're really bringing it. Uh, they're, they're bringing it. I mean, they're bringing it, but we play two hour games. They're bringing it so well that they play three and a half hour games. Is that really bringing it? Well, it's bringing it because there's four and five pitchers that have to be in the ball game every night. Sure. You know, complete games in 67, after he was traded from California to Minnesota, he went 20 and 14 with 18 complete games. Very few pitchers today will pitch 18 complete games for an entire year. He did no, it. No, no, for, for a one, career. For an entire career, I mean, correct. Yeah. He pitched 18 complete games in one season. Com- you know, I, yeah, I got to It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but but I got to tell you something. We didn't think much of complete games. We thought that our job was to take the ball and pitch nine innings. We didn't say, okay, well, man, I got I to gotta get my 100 pitches in and then let somebody else carry the ball the last three innings. We didn't talk like that. I mean, and I'm not trying to dump on the guys today. But but the bottom line, I mean, in 68, I had 28 complete games. Wow. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the bottom line was, it was no big deal. That was the nature of the game. And um, uh, so I, I, I take exception to these guys who, boy, I got to throw a hundred pitches or, or when the announcer says, yeah, last time out, man, he threw 119 pitches, 119. I'll tell you great quick story. I was playing against Baltimore one, one uh, afternoon, an afternoon game in Baltimore. It's about 200 degrees in the shade. <laughs> and I, and I threw 226 pitches in nine innings. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know where my arm, I think, went with it, too, but it was uh, it was some day. You know, that brings up this point. You know, he was really on top of his game in the mid-60s yep. and 67 for sure when he went 20 and 14. Um, he pitched a range-shortened perfect game that year and a no-hitter right. as well. How right. do you think the wear and tear of pitching an average of 221 innings a year, and he topped out at 292 in 1968, affected his arm well you, you know you, you pitch a lot of innings i mean we all did i mean we got to rem- got to remember we were in a four-man rotation if we pitched sunday then we came back and pitched uh monday tuesday we would come back and pitch thursday wow so and and the guys who were going well if you were really having a good year your turn every fourth day would come up no matter what so um, we had lolich in our club who was very inconsistent in the 60s and, uh, and he was always right either in front of me or behind me. But so when there was a rain out or his start, my, my start would get moved back. They would get him out of the way and I would still pitch on the fourth day. So that's what happens with the, with the good ball clubs. I mean, Dean had the opportunity to do that too. And he did it. He wanted the ball. Dean wanted the ball. He enjoyed it. You got to remember, first of all, when you're having a lot of success, the game is an awful lot of fun, but even when you're not having a lot of success, you're just pitching relatively well. It's a it's it's a great way to play. It's a great way to work, and it's a great way to earn a living. Earlier, you know, you had mentioned that the Angels weren't that good. Sure, they were an expansion team, and they weren't that they, good. They suck. They suck. <laughs> he played for some pretty horrible teams. Tell me about the mindset you have to have to know that you have to be at your best virtually every time you step on the mound 
or else your team is no shot. How does that affect you as a pitcher? Well, it does affect you as a pitcher. The best way I can explain is what my ordeal in Washington was. Every time I got the ball to pitch, all I kept thinking about is I got to shut them out. Got to shut them out. That's a horrible way to have to start a ball game and say, I can't give up a run. And I certainly can't give up two. Uh, and uh, Dean faced that time after time after time after time. Uh, again, everything is consequences and timing. And Dean just had a lot of bad timing. He, uh, you know, and I always told him, I said, for two or three years, you were the best I ever saw. The best I ever saw. And, nobody, and, nobody had better stuff than Dean Chance. And that's at the same time, as you said earlier, that there were great pitchers. Koufax, oh, great pitchers, Drysdale, yeah. Ford, McDowell, you, Marischal. I'm not doubting you for one second when you take a look back at, at those numbers. But what I, made and, him and What so- I mean by that, he had the, he had the best stuff. Best stuff I ever saw. Dean was really excited after he was traded to his hometown Cleveland Indians in 1970. Yep. Did he yep. ever talk about that and how disappointed he might have been when he was sold later that season to the Mets? Well, he, he um, you know, he, he, Cleveland is home for him, obviously. And um, he enjoyed his brief stay. That's that's all he would talk about. I mean, he said, boy, I wish I'd have played there. That uh, Cleveland sucked, too, during those years. But. <laughs> You know, if you're playing in your hometown, that that makes a big difference in attitude every day, too. Uh, you're seeing your friends every day, your family every day. I mean, it's, it's a great way to play. Uh, but uh, when he went to the Mets, he, he always said, he says, I wasn't the ball club. It wasn't the guys in the club. It wasn't the guys in the clubhouse. It wasn't the manager. It wasn't anybody else. But it was New York. He could not get used to New York. He could not stand the, the uh, chaos. Sure. Um, you know, he just, he, Dean is a, is a small town guy. And, uh, unfortunately New York is not a small town right. and he, he just happened to be thrust into the middle of New York city with the crazy Mets and, uh, lo and behold, you know, he didn't handle it very well. <laughs> you and Dean never played on the same team. So I'm interested in learning how you two became such good friends. Dean called me one day and asked me if I'd be the uh, marshal of a, at a uh, Cy Young parade down in Ohio, because Cy Young was born in uh, uh, Ohio. Uh-huh. And uh, every year they have a great big Cy Young parade. And lo and behold, they called me and, and they bring in a Cy Young Award winner to be the Grand Marshal. And so a number of years ago, they called me in to be the Grand Marshal. And ever since then, I mean, we talked almost every day. Uh, but we had a lot of things in common and, uh, and he, uh, he had lost his mom and, uh, a lot of other issues going on in his life. And, uh, but you would have never known it, hang around with him. You'd never know that he had a, a down moment here or there, but, uh, good guy, just uh, one of the best. What was he like off the field? From what I read, he was a pretty generous guy. Was he not? Very generous with his time. Tremendously generous with the time. He would promote any charity. If anybody legitimately, he would promote it. He would help. He was a great big promoter of the things in Ohio, of the city he lived in. Uh, he was in, intimately involved in the high school and all of the uh, workings in the city they lived in. Whenever I went there to visit him, if I was going through that area, uh, I always had a, I always going to spend about 15 minutes just say hello, and you wound up being there three or four hours because he wanted to take you all over town and introduce you to more people or say hi to people you'd already met. So, uh, you know, it was always going to be a longer visit than you anticipated. From everything I've read, he was just that kind of guy. Did you yeah. know anything about his interest in boxing? Oh, yeah, sure. Dean uh, Dean was a rabid uh, 
you know, guy when it came to boxing. I mean, I can't remember the belt that he owned. Uh, the IBA. The, the IBA. IDA, yeah. And, uh, but, uh, man, he could tell you about any fighter. He could tell you when they fought, how they fought, what, what you had to look for when the guy came out of in the first round. I mean, Dean was a professional, professional, professional when it came to boxing. I always told him, you know more about boxing than you did pitching. <laughs> he said, well, I didn't have to think about pitching. And, and he's right. The final years of Dean's career on the mound were filled with injury and disappointment. In 1970, he was traded to his hometown Cleveland Indians, along with Greg Nettles, who later would become a fixture at third base for the Yankees. He was traded for Louis Tion and Stan Williams. His time in Cleveland did not turn out the way he had hoped, going 9-8 with a 4.24 ERA. In September of that year, his contract was purchased by the Mets, and in 1971, he was traded to the Tigers before ultimately retiring. But as Dean's career on the mound wound down, he was far from finished in the world of sports. You see, he turned to another sport he enjoyed following as a youngster and not only turned it into a second career, but made an incredible contribution, boxing. Even as a ball player, a young ball player, Dean, if they were off on a Thursday night, uh, he was at the Olympic. Even from an early age, he started watching it on television and that, and uh, liked it. He always just liked boxing. And then, you know, after he wasn't handling fighters anymore, he formed the IBA, and he did an excellent job. It was one of the, uh, uh, you know, the organizations that ranked fighters and put on title fights and that. Uh, I did many of his IBA shows. That was Don Chargan. Inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in 2001, Chargan was one of the top promoters of his time, still dabbles in the sport, and remembers Chance well. You know, Dean was so well-liked, and while he was managing fighters and that and putting on shows in Ohio, he got to meet all the people around boxing. Uh, he had traveled to different states, met a lot of the boxing commissioners. They all had great respect for Dean, so... That, that made it a little easier for him to form the organization and, uh, and to be successful. What were his goals for the IBA? He, I'll tell you what he liked. He, he, he didn't want it to be political at all. He, he worried about his rankings. I know several times we, we would talk about ratings and that, and he would call and he'd, he'd say, Don, you think this guy is rated a little too high or that? Just to sound me out to get my opinion on it. But he didn't want people to, to think that, uh, that it was a, an organization where he could be influenced. Dean was actually just one of many athletes and stars who were attracted to the sport of boxing and could be found ringside at many fights. Well, he, you know, uh, when he was actually still an active baseball player, he managed fighters. And uh, uh, so, you know, in all the years that I've been in boxing, I think it's about 57, but who's counting? Uh, we'll find athletes uh, from other sports who love boxing. I mean, you, you'll always see uh, Magic Johnson at ringside at the fights and, and many other athletes, uh, uh, Adrian Gonzalez with the, with the Dodgers. 
uh, loves boxing, and that's the way he trains. That's the way he 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 keeps fit is by is going through boxing training regimen. But we would find athletes and celebrities, uh, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, going back a few years, Robert Conrad, who uh, who was sure. the star of Wild Wild West. Well, he kept a he kept a ring and heavy bags and speed bags at the studio where they shot Wild Wild West, and that's he would work out and he managed fighters. But but those are the kind of guys. I mean, Ryan O'Neill, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, uh, Ryan managed fighters and was always involved in boxing. And R- Ryan has one of these great minds, and I stay in touch with him, but he has one of these great minds that he can remember the, the date, the place, and the result of every, you know, of every fight, every important fight that's happened in the last 50 years. Wow. There, are only three, there are only three guys that, I've, that I knew that had that kind of a memory and that kind of a mind. Ryan is one of them. Jim Lampley's another one. And the late, great Howard Cosell was another one. That was Bill Kaplan, a longtime publicist in the world of boxing. He was inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame in 2002. Bill remembers well Dean's foray into the sport with Ernie Shavers. Ernie Shavers was a top, top heavyweight from Ohio, he could knock a wall down. Sure. He was a great, great fighter. And and Dean uh, was terribly disappointed because they made a match between Jerry Quarry, Irish Jerry Quarry from California, and Ernie Shavers. And and Ernie uh, Ernie was the was the uh, uh, big favorite to win that fight. It was a big fight at Madison Square Garden. And Jerry knocked out Ernie Shavers in the first round and just shot, absolutely shocked the world. And, of course, it, that, that broke Dean's heart. And Ernie had some big fights, too. Ernie was, like I say, one of the great punchers of modern times. He was, he was a, you know, the real thing. He never won a championship. But, of course, he competed in the day when there was only one champion in each division. I'm sure if he was competing now where you got, uh, four or five champions in every di- division, every organization has their own champion. Uh, he he would have had a, a title belt as well. So he he managed Ernie Shavers, who maybe were some of the other boxers that Dean managed. A and B. How does one manage a boxer while you're a professional baseball player? And C. What exactly? did Dean do as a manager? What is the role of a manager? Well, the role of the manager is, is to book the fighters. In other words, to negotiate the deal with the promoters, uh, uh, to either accept a certain opposition or reject certain opposition for whatever reason, and to negotiate what your fighter is going to get paid. And, you know, he always had a top trainer that would train his fighters. So he didn't have to be involved with the day-to-day training. What his involvement was uh, making the deals for his fighters. And, and the only fighter that, that comes to mind right now for me is Ernie Shavers. And, and I know when you talk to Don Chargan and when you talk to Danny McLean, they'll remember more. So what was your relationship with Dean like? In what capacity did you work with him or know him? Well, 
you know, I'm a huge baseball fan, so I idolized Dean uh, because of his, uh, you know, he played for the Angels and I'm a Los Angeles guy. And and so I idolized him. He was a superstar. And then when I got to meet him through boxing, I just always enjoyed his company. He was a great guy. Uh, I would get periodic phone calls from him. And uh, and he'd say, Bill, I'm going to I'll be out in California on such and such a time. Let's go to dinner. And uh, and I always enjoyed, you know, uh, meeting up with Dean. He was just such a great guy. So you had mentioned that back when Ernie Shavers lost to uh, Jerry Quarry, that was at a time when there was only one belt. And then That's along right. came the WBA, and I think later on came the WBO, but the IBA was in there as well. So there was an opportunity to form another boxing association, and that's how Dean got involved? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, you know, what prompted him to do it, I don't know. I think it was just involvement, to be involved with the, with the sport that he loved. And, uh, and, and he had a, he also had a, uh, an IBA gym in Las Vegas, which, you know, became the boxing capital of the world. And, and, and oftentimes, uh, when the fighters would come to Las Vegas, they would use the IBA gym. Shaver was regarded as one of the hardest punchers of all time, but he fought in the day of Ali, Frazier and Foreman and just couldn't get over the hump to win a title losing to Ali in 1977 and to Larry Holmes in 1979. But he did score some pretty impressive wins, too, with TKOs against the likes of Jimmy Young, Jerry Quarry, Jimmy Ellis, and Ron Lyle. But as good as Shavers was, Dean wanted to be more than just a manager. In fact, he saw a need. Many thought boxing wasn't fair and that there were boxers who were not getting opportunities to fight for championships. So, with a little help... Dean started his own boxing association, the International Boxing Association. And this wasn't rinky-dink. Guys like George Foreman, Oscar De La Hoya, Roy Jones Jr., and James Tony all wore the IBA's championship belt. In an article he had written several years ago for the SweetScience.com, Robert Landonich, boy, I hope I got that name right, interviewed Chance. And Chance told him why he started the IBA. We have a lot of great, well-known champions like James Tony and Carlos Baldemir, Chance said at the time. But we also have great, lesser-known champions like Al Seeger, who is just fabulous. The IBA will open up a lot of doors for him. Chance wanted to give the little or lesser-known fighters a chance, and he did. Kaplan remembers how great it was to have Dean Chance in the IBA. He, he, he couldn't have been more helpful for us. When we needed a, a, a title fight, when we had a situation where we need to make a fight for the title and the IBA, his organization, had a vacant spot, he would always accommodate us. He was just great about that. And Dean had pull. In fact, there was to be a card at a small college in Ohio, and at the last moment, the college pulled out. Chargin remembers well how Dean made just one phone call and all was saved. I'll tell you one thing. We had a fight in Ohio, and it it uh, anyway the people that had the building and that didn't live up to anything that uh, that they were supposed to do. And 
I arrived in town and Dean told me, and I said, well, Dean, what are we going to do? We're stuck at this place. We went to the high school where Dean Chance went to high school. And I'll, th- I'll tell you, when I walked in there, you thought that, that the name of the school was Dean Chance. His picture was all over. He'd been the most outstanding athlete that they'd ever had at this high school in Ohio. Northwestern and High School. What was it? Northwestern High School. Northwestern, that was it. And uh, we we put the, uh, it was a televised pro fight, and we put it on in high school. And I'll tell you, all it took to get the thing was one phone call from Dean, and they were so happy to have him back on campus that uh, they just opened their doors for us. Of course, Dean liked to have fun away from the baseball diamond and the boxing ring, too. And one of his early teammates, Bo Belinsky, certainly knew how to have fun. And Dean was right there by his side. And McLean and Kaplan remember those times well. I uh, I can tell you that the two of them were freaking frack. Uh, Oliver, uh, Oliver, uh, what, what is it? What, Oliver uh, Abbott, and Hardy? Uh, Abbott and Costello. Um, Bo was... Uh, uh, what, what, what could I say? Bo was the Cary Grant of baseball. Uh, every woman wanted him. Every woman wanted to be with him. Every woman wanted him to show his curveballs. I mean, it, it's it's amazing uh, how the women went after uh, him. And the thing with Dean was, and it's a funny story. The thing with Dean was that he says, I only hung around with Bo because I just wanted some of his castoffs. <laughs> he says, I, I wanted to date the ones he couldn't handle every night. So, uh, yeah, Bo was, uh, a, <laughs> Bo was a study in action every day. Bo <laughs> never had a moment down. I'm telling you, guys, uh, I, I don't know where you get that kind of energy. A guy by the name of Bo Belinsky, who became famous for two, for two reasons. Number one, in his rookie year for the Angels, he pitched a no-hitter. Yep. And he took, and the other reason was, he was, he was the, Joe Namath of the West Coast. He would date and was intimate, we understand, with with starlets, uh, Hollywood starlets, and he introduced Dean to that life. And 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 let me tell you a story about something that happened fairly recently. Sure. Uh what's God, what's the name of the actress? Who starred in the in the TV series Police Woman? Angie. Angie Dickinson. Angie Dickinson. Well, Dean, that was one of Dean's old girlfriends, and it, a few years ago, Angie, who I'm sure is you know around seventy years old or so now, uh, she called Dean and she says, "Dean, I understand you're coming out to Los Angeles and let's get together. You know, we ought to get together. And Dean, he said, Angie, he said, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I don't, I want to remember you the way you were, not Ah. the way you are. Ah. (laughs) Quite. And he refused to see her. And, and, you know, it would take somebody like Dean to pull that off. But, but Angie was, Angie ran with the Rat Pack. Uh, she was, like I say, starred in her own TV series. 
and uh, very, uh, I understand, I never had the pleasure of meeting her, but I understand that she was a, a very lovable, uh, a, a good woman and everything. And, and Dean said, I want to remember you the way you were. And and uh, and Dean became somewhat of a Lothario himself uh, because he was tutored. Uh, he was tutored by Bo Belinsky. Belinsky was a work to behold. He was seen with such stars as Anne Margaret, Tina Louise and Connie Stevens. He married and later was divorced by 1965 Playboy Playmate of the Year Joe Collins. But Bo never really made it in the majors. As Kaplan noted, he threw a no-hitter in his rookie year, which was 1962, in just his fourth start. Overall, he was 10-11 and 11 that year and wound up going just 28-51 and 51 for his career. As for Dean, like we've been talking about, after his career was over, his interest lied in the world of boxing and the IBA was the real deal. Unfortunately, though, it didn't have the staying power. With Dean at the helm, the IBA was in the game. But when Dean passed away, so too did the IBA. And now, it's nothing more than a memory. It was Dean's passion, and he controlled it. It ended when Dean did, because it was a, uh, you know, practically a one-man thing. He, 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 he ran it and looked over it and nurtured it and did everything so when when dean passed away uh, that was it kind of faded away with with dean you know dean wanted to turn the operation over to a young fella and i i don't know by the name of chavez who lives in california and i don't know whatever happened but you know he knew that there would come a time when he wouldn't be around uh, and, and I don't know, I, it may have faded into the mist, you know, along with, along with our Dean. When you look back on the career of Dean Chance in baseball and boxing, no one has anything bad to say about him. He was a dominant force on the mound and he became a dominant force in the world of boxing too. And he is sorely missed. Yeah, I'll tell you, he was, he, he was some guy, Warren, I just wish everybody would have gotten to know him. I always called him Mr. President because he was the president of the IBA. And when I would get a call from him, I would I would always serenade him with dum dum da dum dum da dum da dum da He always got a kick out of it. Uh, let me tell you that he's such he's such a great guy. Uh, he's missed. He'll always be missed. And the people in boxing uh, just absolutely love Dino. He was a giver, not a taker. And uh, if a man can leave this world and somebody can say he was a giver and not a taker, I don't know how you could say anything better than that. As you heard, Dean gave. He gave his time out of the ring and off the mound. Boxing needed something a little different, and Dean was there at the right time. And today, boxing could probably use another Dean Chance. Looking back at his career in baseball, Dean went 128 and 115 with a 2.92 ERA. He recorded 61 complete games, 33 shutouts, and struck out more than 1,500 batters. He threw two no-hitters, started two All-Star games, and during the four-year stretch of 1963 to 1966, when Sandy Koufax took over the world of baseball and won three Cy Young Awards, the one year he didn't, it was Dean Chance who rose to the top of the game. 
Dean Chance, great guy, great athlete. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, as the main portion of the golf season wears down and the final major of the season approaches, the PGA Championship, I thought it would be a great time to take a look back at the career of a guy who won four U.S. Open championships and is the only man to ever win three in a row. Yeah, I bet you're scratching your head trying to figure out who that was. Well, it wasn't Jack, it wasn't Ben, and it wasn't Tiger. It was Willie Anderson, most definitely one of sports forgotten heroes. For more information on Willie, to see who else will be featured on the podcast, and to learn how you can be a part of a future podcast, check out sportsfh.com. That's sportsfh.com. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Facebook, Twitter, at SportsFHeroes. And if you have any comments or ideas for a future topic, we'd love to hear from you. Again, visit sportsfh.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.